This morning, my dog woke me early, had to go out. And uh, so, you know, when he starts uh, pawing at the bed, I know that it's time to get up and, and go open the back door and let him out into the backyard. And, and um, so I was kind of surprised that having been woken so rudely at about 5.30, that uh, I was thinking about the power of words. I thought, now this is, this is an interesting thing to be dwelling on when I wake up on a Sunday morning. Uh, it, probably it's because I've been thinking about it all week, but um, words have a, an incredible creative power. Think about it for a minute. Well, you can comfort people with it. You can encourage people. You can teach or inform. Uh, or you can hurt or destroy. Yeah, you can develop destructive attitudes. Words can trigger things in other people's lives that bring about anger. Um, words are powerful. They're powerful for good or they're powerful for evil. Uh, words can... Uh, can develop into something that is creative, as we see in the scriptures, that words have the power to create things. Uh, I'm, and I'm, I was just meditating on that this morning. I thought, oh, isn't it amazing? The more I thought about it, the more I understood that words really can do positive or negative things depending on how we use the words that we have. Now, a lot of people use words in order to get people to agree to their ideas. They try to convince you. They try to um, talk you into something. They want you to accept their points of view. And so they will use their words for their arguments or discussions in order to get you into that but one thing that words can't do is they can't control your heart. They can't control what's going on in your mind. They can influence it, but you can take a stand against those things in your mind. And that's one of the reasons why the scripture tells us in Romans to continually be renewed in your mind and you're renewed by God's word. So now let's look at our scripture for today in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start at verse uh, 23. Uh, we read portions of this last week, but I need to go back to it because we stopped before I actually got through it. So we're at Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 23, we'll read through 36. And he, that's Jesus, was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of his holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, 
there are some of those standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And some eight days after these sayings, it came about that he took along Peter and James and John and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And it came about, as these were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. And while he was saying this, a cloud formed, and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Father, add your blessing to your word this morning, we ask. Amen. Well, I've always wondered about uh, this event of the transfiguration being included in Scripture. Um, I don't know, I, I must have at some point in my life preached on this, but I, I can't remember it. And uh, so uh, one of the things I'm enjoying going through <laughs> the scriptures that I've got to preach on it all and I've got to, I've got to focus on it. And I like that because it uh, opens up things to me that I had never really thought about in the past or it's brought back old memories, one or the other. And uh, one of the memories it brings back to me is the fact that at one of the most incredible experiences that Peter, James, and John were going to have in seeing Jesus in a glorified state, they fall asleep. And it reminded me that when uh, they were out in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is praying, <laughs> getting ready to, to be uh, betrayed and go through his scam of a trial, what happens? They go out to be with Jesus while he's praying, like they did here on the mountain, and they fell asleep. It seems to be a pattern in their lives that when they get to really important moments, <laughs> they get really tired. I wonder if there's a spiritual, con, uh, you know, a spiritual relationship somehow to when God really is doing something great, his people fall asleep. I, I don't know. It seems to me that uh, in, in days in my life when God's done some things that have been very uh, dramatic in terms of, of a shift and a change in, in what's supposed to happen, I've gone through some very uh, down times and, and felt very heavy and very uh, tired 
And, and that happened just before we started the mission agency in Germany. Um, in, in the week in which that happened, I, I, I don't know that I was completely uh, spiritually aware and awake of what was happening, and yet that was a major transition in our lives. Um, and here, the same thing's happening. Something important is taking place here. Now, watch this. The, they've gone through this training and teaching. They've become participants with Jesus in the gospel. And at the end of all of this incredible series of events, they, they've seen the bread multiplied in their hands. They've seen uh, over 5,000 men that were fed. They, they, they're experiencing this stuff. And it's getting to be exciting. And when Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? They said, well, John the Baptist or, or, or one of the prophets or Elijah. And, and, and now he says to them in that moment where they've got this, it's increasing in, in drama and, and in experience. He says to them, I'm going to, I must suffer, be treated unjustly. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to die, and I must be raised again. I mean, right in the middle of it. And they're sitting there going, wait a minute, that doesn't fit into our concept of the Messiah, the Messiah who's going to be the king, who's going to reign over Israel, and restore the, the, the glories of David and Solomon and drive the Romans out and we're going to be free again. That doesn't fit with our, our political understanding of what the Messiah is supposed to be doing. Now, this, this is amazing. After he tells them, this is what's going to happen to me, he comes to them and he says to them, you are going to have to go through the same kinds of things. You have to deny yourself. You're going to have to come to a place where you consider yourself dead, dead to sin, dead to, to self, dead to your rights, dead to things that you think are right, and you must come alive in me and trust me in all of those situations. Regardless of how difficult it is, you have to die to self and come alive to me. And I can see them scratching their heads saying, I don't understand this. And then Jesus turns to them and he says this, and this is funny because I've always quoted it this way. This is the way I've always thought of it and quoted it. If you are ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you in glory. Anybody else sort of catch that gist when you've read that? Is that sort of, or am I the only one that sees that? I, but that's not what it says. What it says is, if you are ashamed of me and my words. Isn't that interesting? He says, if you're ashamed of me and my words, then I'm going to be ashamed of you. He doesn't say, actually, he's going to throw us out of heaven. He says he's going to be ashamed of us. Isn't that interesting? An interesting concept. He says, I, I, if you're ashamed of the words that I say, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Now, normally I think I could get enough out of that to preach for the rest of the day, but <laughs> it's after this 
And Jesus goes on and says, you know, some of you, you know, aren't going to die until you've seen the kingdom of God. Now, I can think that all of them, when they died, they, they, they were with Jesus and they never experienced death because that's the way it is for Christians. We don't experience death. It's like going to sleep. And we close our eyes, we wake up in heaven. I mean, we're going to be with Jesus forever. It's not a matter of us experiencing. We will never taste death. That's what the scripture says. Now, in, in looking at it, I'm saying, well, maybe that's true for them. But you see, for Peter, James, and John, apart from Judas, yeah, I mean, he didn't make it, right? But Peter, James, and John they get to experience it eight days later. I mean, we're talking about they go up with Jesus on top of the mountain to pray, and while Jesus is praying, these guys are feeling the heaviness of sleep and want to fall asleep and just about miss one of the most incredible experiences, a spiritual experience that, that was later on, uh, uh, Peter writes about it in Second Peter chapter 1. He says, I was there and I heard the, the voice of God speaking. I was there. And this, this becomes an important part of Peter's testimony later on in life. But in the, in the moment, he kind of wakes up because there's this dazzling light. The other night when all that thunder was going on and several bolts of thunder were going through, you know how they light up the sky? I mean, it's incredible. We, we were out in Tahiti once. We had, can you believe we had missionaries in Tahiti? And, and we had to go visit them. Somebody had to do it, you know. So I guess, you know, it was up to the director to go visit the missionaries. And so we did. We went to visit with them. They put us up in a, a little bungalow that was on a uh, lagoon. And so we were sitting outside one night and uh, the wind was up and we could see off in the distance, even though the sun had set, the a blackness of, of, a, of a storm. And the, the, the water is just like a mirror, just, you know, calm right there in the, in the lagoon. It, it was an incredible experience. But then we saw lightning strike in the distance and it would be bolts that would come down and and then they would spread out and go two different ways and it lit up the whole sky and we could see uh, the islands of Bali out in the distance I mean it was just one uh, lightning bolt after the other and we were watching this it was it was better than any fourth of July it was the most incredible experience of, of seeing lightning uh, off, I was glad it was off in the distance. It wasn't anywhere near us. But as we're watching this and, and astonished, I began to think of what it was like that the clothes that Jesus was wearing were white like that. And just with an explosion of light. And his, his appearance was changed I can't imagine what it was like, but when they saw him, they were absolutely blown away by the glorified 
picture of what Jesus was going to look like in eternity. And standing with him. This is one of the things, I guess, kind of helps me believe that when we are absent from our body, even though the scripture doesn't say this specifically, when we're absent from our body, we're present with the Lord. Here is Moses and Elijah standing there with Jesus. I mean, Moses finally gets into the promised land. He's in the promised land, you know. He, he, didn't, he may have died out in the desert, <laughs> but here he's standing on the promised land with Jesus talking to them. And what are they discussing? They're discussing what's going to happen to him when he goes to Jerusalem and he's going to be betrayed. And when these guys wake up and they are seeing and observing this, this is a highlight. You thought it was great when you saw the bread multiplying in your hands? This far outweighs all of the experiences that they have encountered with Jesus to this moment. I mean, they're, they're there without any explanation or words to say, and Peter tries to stumble, well, maybe we ought to build some kind of memorial to you and the other two here. I mean, he has no idea what he's talking about. He's just... He's caught up and he thinks he ought to say something, but he can't think of anything reasonable or rational to say. And in the, in the moment that, that the, the other two leave, a cloud descends of the powerful presence of God. We've seen the cloud that led the Israelites in the desert. We've seen the cloud that filled the temple. We've seen clouds before, but this comes down upon Jesus, Peter, John, and James. And the three disciples, when this cloud starts to envelop them, the presence of Almighty God is so overwhelming that they are in fear for their lives. You don't forget something like this. This is, this is an incredible experience. Are we going to survive this experience now? I mean, Jesus sort of completely ignored the thing about the three, the three memorials there. He wasn't interested in that. They had no idea what they were encountering. And now the presence of God. Oh, I, I yearn for special encounters. I don't know whether I could yearn for something like this. <laughs> but I, I, over the years, I've had wonderful encounters with Jesus. And, and I, I wish they were more frequent. You know, I, I wish they were greater in terms of, of the encounter that, that they would transform what is it that's so important that God has to reveal himself in this awesome, this is a correct use of that word, in this awesome way to these 
three men. What is so important that he's going to speak first thing he does is he reveals and confirms the words that Peter spoke eight days earlier. He says, this is my beloved son. He confirms who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't ever have to say, I am. He doesn't have to come out like people do all over the world at different times and they say I'm this or I'm that Jesus never had to say that he never had to stand up and and in a prideful way say well I'm the Messiah if people say are you the Messiah he would say I am he would agree with them he's not there proclaiming something he doesn't have to defend himself he doesn't have to prove who he is to anybody but when the Father says that, it means that all of the authority that the Father has, he now has agreed and admitted in public, I has given it to Jesus. When a policeman stands on the road and he lifts up his hand, you stop your car. Why? Is it because he's so powerful? No. Your car is more powerful than that man standing in the road. You stop because of the authority that that man has in his uniform. He represents something much greater than himself. He represents the law of the land. And if you don't abide by it, then you have the entire law of the land coming down your back. You see, authority is important to have, but authority doesn't come on your own. It comes because you have submitted to an authority that is greater than who you are. And when the Father says, this is my beloved Son, then he has given the authority in heaven and on earth to his Son. And now comes the important part. As if that wasn't important enough. That he just has declared this is who Jesus is. He says, listen to him. Pay attention now. He says, listen. What do you listen to? Words. Now you see, this is something that ties in with what just transpired eight days earlier when Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of you. And now the Father in heaven has just said, you pay attention to his words. My goodness, I... I, I, I was sitting here, I wanted to jump up and dance when I saw this. I'm going, this is what it's about. Why are the words of Jesus so valuable and so important? Because just like in the beginning, when, when the world was without form and void and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the deep, God spoke, 
And when God spoke, the Spirit of God was there to carry out what God said to create it. The power of God's word spoken does not just say he's informing us. He creates out of his word. His word has power to create. His word has power out of nothing to establish something. That's the power of God. And when Jesus speaks... He begins to speak with the authority of his Father behind him. He brings the peace and the power and the authority that comes when he says something, it creates something new. And when he speaks to you in your heart, he creates a new heart. He changes that stony hard heart and creates a new heart. Boy, I'm getting so excited here. The, the sound system's going off with me. My goodness. You see, when he begins to speak, his words do more than the words of a teacher, than the words of an educator, than the words of a doctor, than the words of anybody else in this world. His words can do what every president and, and every dictator in the world ever wished or desired was that his words would get everybody to do what he wants them to do. But when God moves upon our lives, he changes the very thing that others cannot. He changes our hearts. He changes our minds. He renews us. He brings new life where there was none. He takes away the death that is from self-infliction and sin, and he removes it as far as the east is from the west. When Jesus comes and speaks words into us, it inspires faith to be created inside us to believe him. Wow. We, we, when, when, when I've listened to some of the old speeches of Winston Churchill, he understood something of the power of words when, when England was on the brink of, of defeat by the Nazis, he stood up and said, we will not uh, give in, we will continue, we will, we will win. I mean, I don't know what, I can't remember the exact words that he spoke, but, but, but the whole thing is that those words listened to on the radio by people in their bomb shelters caused them to rise up and become a winning force in the Second World War. I, I, I think that's marvelous, but the words of Jesus are greater than the words of Winston Churchill. Someone greater than Churchill is here. Someone greater than the saints of old. Someone greater than Moses. Someone greater than Elijah. Someone greater than John the Baptist is here. And the words that he speaks have words that have an entirely different authority and power and a creative ability for our lives. So when the Father says, listen to him, it's for your own good. <laughs> because what's going to happen when you hear and obey and believe and trust the words of Jesus, it has eternal value and transformation power within you. That's powerful. 
I take one look at, at these words. I'm, I'm amazed at, I, I, I've lost my, my connection. Can you hear me? I think I've been shouting loud enough you didn't need to have <laughs> the sound system. I, I, I feel like I'm back out on the streets in Germany <laughs> when I start getting excited like that. But I am so excited about the words of Jesus. And when I want to compare the words that Jesus speaks to the words that politicians speak or, or that others want to say, naysayers around the world, and I take a look at it, there is no comparison. Their words do not create the way God's words create. And now get this. If his word is in you and we speak his words with confidence and assurance, those words through us will create life in other people. We can speak the word of God and God's word has the power through our mouths as people who have been born again of the power and spirit of God has the power to establish faith in the hearers. God, through his son Jesus, has endued us with the creative ability to speak faith. Faith that strengthens a person, deals with their anger, their hurts, their upsets, allows the sin nature to be destroyed and replaced with God's nature. What an incredible, incredible authority that the Word of God has. When I, when I look at this, I want to stand in the authority of Jesus and see how the words that we speak in the power of the Holy Spirit, creates faith, transformation, hope for eternity, clarity in our relationships with each other and with God. So I guess at the end of this message, there's, there's only a couple questions to ask. <laughs> what is God saying to you? Are we listening? Is his word finding fruitful ground in our hearts? Are we growing on a regular basis in our faith and our experiences with God? Even as we've seen, that's the desire that Jesus had with his disciples as he started with them in the observation phase, through the empowerment phase, through the uh, participation phase, bringing them into a revelation that was far greater than anything they could have imagined. How is our relationship growing with Jesus? Is his, are his words creating life in us and through us? We need all of us to listen to him. That's what we need to do. More than anything else, more than listening to a preacher, 
more than listening to good advice. We need to listen to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Father, I want to thank you for your word, for the revelation that we get, that, that we see that listening to Jesus was the greatest thing on your heart that you wanted the disciples to know. They needed to have your affirmation that he was your son. Not just something that they had said, but they heard you say it. And then they needed to hear the instruction from your mouth that we needed to listen to Jesus. Let us take those words to heart that we need to know who Jesus is and we need to listen to him and that we will conform to do the things that he says.